Welcome to the S2 Cognition Podcast. S2 is the official cognitive evaluation in sports, from youth to pro, where athletes and coaches build to win. Joining us today on the S2 Cognition Podcast is Will Hewlett. Will works with the Quarterback Collective and as a private quarterback instructor in the Jacksonville, Florida area. He and fellow quarterback instructor, Denny Thompson, work together out of Six Points Facility in Florida. We dive into the importance of training the cognitive aspect of a quarterback's game, how he trains decision-making with the college quarterbacks and youth quarterbacks that he works with, how he's managed his philosophy on training over the years, and if he considers cereal to be a soup. That interview with Will Hewlett is next on the S2 Cognition Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Before we get started talking cognition and quarterback position in terms of development today, what are you up to working on, who you're working with? How's your summer been? Yeah, uh, summer's been great. So um, we just wrapped up, um, you know, my, my, my main gig is working with uh, preparing collegiate and NFL quarterbacks um, for whatever the level of competition is. Sometimes that's in draft prep. Uh, sometimes that's the upcoming season. Um, so this year we've got you know, some college quarterbacks um, that are, that are going to you know, have some, some big uh, shoes to fill and some, some big um, seasons to have. Uh, Anthony Richardson at University of Florida. I work with um, Denny Thompson here at Six Points. And um, we got Peyton Thorne at Michigan State. Um, you know, we got uh, Jeff Sims at Georgia, Georgia Tech. Um, we got, we got a ton of college quarterbacks all across the country. Um, you know, from schools like Tulsa, et cetera, that are going to have really um, – really exciting seasons um and then we've got a a couple guys that are on nfl rosters some um, competing um, to make the roster some competing for the number two job hopefully some of them will get a shot at the starting position Um, worked with a ton of coaches this off season Um, a lot of uh, fbs fcs level guys on um kind of tightening up practices and some different thoughts on how to organize training a little bit better off season in season etc. Um, so that's been, that's really been since December. Um, and then as you know, not that I don't get enough football, I decided to coach high school football, which I've been doing for the past three years. Um, and I'm just a quarterback coach at St. Augustine high school, um, here in, in uh, North Florida, um, which is, which has been a great learning experience for myself and really challenging in ways. And also helps keep me connected to the game. Um, as a trainer, sometimes you get a little bit disconnected, Um, and so I get to get in there and and really see how things actually work. So that's been really, that's really been my, my, uh, off season and, and just going into the fall now. So coach some ball and, and, and then, um, get ready. We're preparing for our next draft class coming out, um, for 2023. Yeah. Will, did you, uh, so Anthony Richardson, I was at LSU Florida this past year. My wife and I were there. Were, Were you happen to be there? No, I couldn't make any of the college football games, unfortunately, um, without high school schedule. Hopefully this year we'll get, get to one. Man, um, when he came in, dude, it, it's like something clicked completely with him. It, you, you saw a couple of throws and you're like, whoa, where's this guy been? And, you know, where is this guy? I mean, how's yeah. this offense going to be tailor-made around him? Because, man, he can throw the football. So we've got a, we've got a great relationship with the um, University of Florida staff, um, the new staff come in. And so we work directly with them. Um, you know, helping them kind of craft their, their training and their off season um, on, on the physical side for their quarterbacks. And, 
And Anthony, um, Danny Thompson's worked with him since he's, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old. But that, when that guy walks, walks in a room, he, he owns it. It, it changes physically unbelievable. Um, just, just a specimen. But what's really special about him is, is, um, awareness and, and understanding of the game. He's, he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's the complete package. We're super excited to um, work with him this next uh, off season. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so, so Brandon, you you just authored two doozy articles. One looking at the Wonderlick scores of NFL quarterbacks, and then looking at cognition. And then the second one was diving more into the cognition piece of the most important processes. Can, can you tell me how this process started? What, what questions brought you to this point to even write something like yeah, that? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we've been collecting data um, through the NFL draft process since 2016 and, and you know, ended up getting obviously a, a lot of high level quarterbacks. And, you know, Will and, and I and a, and a couple of other guys from uh, Quarterback Collective have really been interested in just, hey, what makes these guys special? What makes them elite? Because it's clearly not just the physical metrics, right? Or, or you know, we've got Wonderlick scores and, and measures of intelligence and intellect and, and, and things haven't been panning out. And so, you know, we give a battery of, uh, of nine different cognitive tests that uh, we really feel like these quarterbacks have to engage in on the field. And so when we took that S2 overall score, which is sort of a, a basic measure of all nine and ran a regression, it turned out uh, that, it, that that overall S2 score accounted for about 29% of career passer rating. And we're like, wow, that's, that's pretty significant. Uh, you know, I mean, if you can explain 10% of human behavior, you're on to something. Uh, but obviously quarterbacks have other things, right? They've got a lot of physical skills you've got to have. You've got to have game knowledge. Uh, you've got to have um, uh, just uh, the, the ability to play, that grit, that psychological makeup. But we wanted to kind of follow up some of those things. And we looked at regressions for Wonderlick, which turned out Wonderlick accounts for less than 1% of career passer rating. And we looked at height, uh, which is a, a common quarterback metric. And, 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 and height accounted for about 3.5% of, uh, of passer rating. So we felt really good about that. But, uh, you know, as Will can tell you, it's not just this overall thing, right? It's uh, are there any specific traits that make up these guys? And and, and so we, we dug in a little bit further. And I thought I think we were kind of mind blown a little bit when we looked at uh, some of the cognitive skills that go into completion percentage um, and into interception rate. And the, the one thing that really stood out is tracking capacity. So your ability to broaden your attention, see the whole field, and really make sense of where everybody is moving in space. So how much time do I have to make this pass before a defender collapses on my guy? Um, that, that predicted a huge proportion of uh, completion percentage. And then impulse control. So your ability to really sort of control that impulse to make a bad throw or to, to make a premature throw when you haven't made all your reads. Those two measures, tracking and impulse control, uh, accounted for about 52% of completion percentage. And uh, impulse control uh, itself uh, accounted for about 20, 25% of uh, interception rate. And so we thought that was really cool. And a lot of things that conceptually made sense for us, right? You've got to have those skills as a quarterback. And so, um, you know, we thought it was really cool, ran some stuff by Will. Will was, Will was, uh, thought it was impressive. And so wanted to get the dialogue started with somebody who's in the space, 
making a difference in quarterbacks. And, and when I personally think player development, you know, sort of getting a player better, not just understanding what player, but actually working with them uh, in quarterbacks. First thing I, I first guy I think of is Will. So I know Will has spent a lot of time. Uh, Will and I have actually spent uh, close to 100 hours on the phone trying to think up of developmental drills and these kind of things. And so, Will, you're in this space. What do you think about this kind of stuff? Yep. How, do you, how do you work with these things? If you're a high school, college quarterback, how do you work with these kinds of skills? Yeah, I think it, it's, um, uh, it, it's been really interesting digging into this. So, you know, I'm not classically educated in biomechanics or – um, uh, or, or, you know, anything in, in the, the science world. Um, but my, my role in the quarterback industry for the past 15 years has been someone that's focused purely on the technical side of development, right? So, you know, understanding, you know, theories behind motor learning, um, you know, constraint-based learning, uh, ecological dynamics theory, all these things to help athletes really maximize their, um, abilities. And so it's always been focused on, on the, the, the physical side and like, how do we change motor pathways? How do we get athletes to, to move better? Um, and at a, at a point in, in my career, um, I realized that what I was doing was giving, helping athletes um, get an opportunity to get on the field. But what I quickly realized is the differentiator is what keeps you on the field is the cognitive side of things. And so then there's this whole other rabbit hole. You're like, well, that's cool. Like we've got this, this beautiful looking quarterback that can rip the ball, you know, seven yards downfield, can avoid tackles. And that's awesome. You know, but if you have uh, decision-making issues, um, you know, I'll go take the 185 pound, you know, skinny kid over there that knows how to anticipate. Right. And I think, if you look at the NFL, it is a collect, especially the quarterback side of things. It, you know, the best athlete isn't always the best quarterback. I mean, if anything, the quarterback is the one person on the field that really could not play any other position on the field for the most part. Now, there's some guys now <laughs> that that absolutely can, um, and and that's like an added bonus, right? When you've got your, um, you know, uh, you've got. Patrick Mahomes. Well, actually, I don't even know if Patrick Mahomes can play another position, but someone like, you know, Cam Newton or uh, Josh Allen, right? Um, Lamar Jackson, for example. And and so, but Drew Brees, I mean, what else is that guy doing on the field? Tom Brady, you know, what else is that guy doing on the field? So if they're, they're, they're you know, I mean, yes, they're elite because they're in the NFL, but there has to be a differentiator. And, and, and when I was first exposed to S2, I meet, like, it was no hesitation. I was like, Oh, this is, this is it. This is what understanding these nine cognitive measurements and how they interact with football um, and, and, and quarterbacks. I was like, this is the, is we always talk about the it factor, right? Like he's got the it factor. No one's been ever able to quantify that. And, and so I, I, for the first time I felt like, Oh, it factor. Like we can put numbers on that. Um, and so as you kind of lay this S2 template over the way of looking at the game and, and you start seeing trends, you start seeing things in athletes, you, um, you know, that you're like, oh, I wonder if he's good at that because it looks like he's good at that. Um, so one of the things was like search efficiency. I remember observing an NFL quarterback every time he left the pocket you know, the amount of time it took for him to decide where to put the ball, you know, like the post post pocket outside, you know, non-structured play. It was so 
it, for me, it was visually nose-like. I could see him deciding something quicker than most um, NFL quarterbacks. And I think I text Brandon. I was like, hey, do you know what this guy's score is on um, um, his search efficiency? And it was really high. And I was like, okay, see, I, I am seeing what I'm seeing. So being able to think through that, I think, um, and, and observe that, you know, in real time has been super helpful. And, and it's, uh, it's an area we need to continue to dig into because I think, you know, it's an, an evaluation game, right? Like the, the NFL draft, it's like, we've got all these criteria we're trying to select quarterbacks on, um, you know, coaches have got all these criteria they're trying to select a starter on, you know, if you're a high school coach, if you're a college coach, whatever the case is, um, you know, having more information about your athlete, I think helps you um, make a better decision. And we don't have to think of it like we have to eliminate people. You know, there's just adaptive uh, measures that we may take for certain athletes, knowing that they have a low, you know, score here. It's like, well, we want to make sure the offense is tailored in this capacity. So it's, it's been really an eye-opening experience and, and um, uh, you know, continue to dig in, in the rabbit hole, but, uh, you know, the cognitive side um, with y'all. That's exactly where I wanted to go into. I mean, we we talked to Kirk Cousins, we've talked to Terry Fontenot, and there, you know, about Drew Brees and these guys that you look at and you're like, okay, how in the world do some of these guys go in such a late round? They don't physically impress you, but they go on to have these these insane stellar careers and lead teams and make decisions and and are able to process the game. I, it's it's amazing to me. That, that's what fascinates me is one of the elements that fascinates me is the later round guy or yeah. maybe not necessarily that the first 20 picks or 32 right. picks and and they go on to have a, a illustrious career and you're like man it, it it's got to be his brain he's able to do things faster absolutely. and more decisive than most human beings on the planet absolutely well I'll, I'll tell you just from a drew Brees perspective because i know my guy is like six six feet six one or whatever let's evaluated <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're being too nice. He's probably probably five seven, five, 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 five seven. Yeah. Media guys, easy now, easy now. He's an ally. He's an ally. <laughs> yeah. So we've we've evaluated uh, tens of thousands of athletes across all sports and 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 ages, and Drew Brees has the highest instinctive learning score we've ever seen. I mean, he can just pick up on the subtlest tendencies, the subtlest things, and pick you apart. So that's that's a special that's a special gift that that essentially you would be like, well, I mean, what makes Drew Brees Drew Brees? Well, if he's picking you apart really early and, and adjusting his play, uh, you know. So, well, you said something that uh, that I, I personally want to dig in from a player development perspective. You know, you, you said essentially you're getting some S2 scores and you're sort of tailoring yeah. situations, right? It's hard work. It's really hard work developing a player. Let's say, okay, this kid's got low impulse control. How do we schedule, how do we set up drills and drill work over time and one-on-one time to get that better? Do you find it's more uh, adaptive or more helpful for a coach to set up the playbook or set up the situations that that player is in or do the hard sort of drill. Work? Yeah. Like what makes the most sense to you? And it's probably different whether you got a, a 14 year old versus you sure. got a college. Guy. Yeah. I mean, I think um, to kind of give a cop out answer, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, I, I think the the thing that I understand, for example, you know, with decision complexity um, is a, is a really good example. If you have someone that's elite in many other categories, but has a low decision complexity score, their ability to move through if then statements is difficult, then, you know, potentially simplifying their decision-making process 
um, whether it's simply just the play call, the progression, um, you know, having, having things that allow, because there's, there's for a quarterback, there's pre-snap and there's post-snap and, and there's, there's pre-snap for a lot of guys is just as important as post-snap. Right. And so there, you know, things like visual learning and decision complexity and instinctive learning. Um, and for that matter, distraction control, I think those things are all happening pre-snap regardless. Right. And, and then post-snap, some of the th- these things are going to bleed into the next level, but then, you know, search efficiency post-snap is huge. And then obviously tracking capacity is huge. And so there's elements, I think, pre and post that I think have blended. And so I think I'm, I'm passionate about how we train athletes, period. You know, I think there's um, a lot of wasted time in practice. There's a lot of wasted movements in practice. Um, and I think there's more stuff we can get out of our athletes, you know, regardless of level. I'm talking, I mean, youth football through um, the NFL you know, coaches can do um, a better job of, of researching and understanding how learning actually works and putting your athletes in situations to excel from a, a technical standpoint, but also that tactical side and making decisions. Um, and then, and then, yes, if I know an athlete has a certain deficiency in an area, then being able to, you know, craft the playbook in a manner um, or be more, uh, hey, listen, like, you know, split the field on half for a guy that has a poor tracking capacity issue, right? Like it's like, we're going to cater our concepts so we can eliminate one side pre-snap and, and post-snap. We're just going to work one side. We're going to take away full field progressions. You know, um, if it's a, a, um, a complexity issue, then a decision complexity issue, then we're going to have a lot less if then statements and coaches love if then statements. They're like, so it's like, Oh yeah. If, if the, you know, the star backer does this and then the, the post safety does this. And then, you know, we've got trap coverage over here. It's like, you like you work yourself down at downtown. There's some guys that can smash that. Like I, I have my son, I have a, my own lab rat, which is really, super cool, <laughs> you know, cause I get to coach quarterbacks and then I have my son and I know he's S two scores and he, he's uh, pretty exceptional in decision complexity. And to the point where I'm like, oh, this is not, this is 100% from your, your mom because this is not <laughs> me. Um, and, and he's able to work through these layers. I'm just like, how did you remember all that? And then it, so it makes sense, right? But, you know, um, crafting drills, I, I, I did a presentation um, years ago for a, a coaching conference. And um, one of the things that was, um, it was on, on individual time for quarterbacks, how we structure that individual time. And, um, and then drilling down into like, what makes a great drill, right? And so, you know, the game of football is highly complex. It's a highly complex game. And, and so your, your drills have to represent the game. And so if you want to make something more simple, you just have to lower the levels of complexity in the drilling. And so I, I always felt like a great drill had an element of pressure. Um, you know, it has a decision in it and it has, um, some kind of distraction in it. And, and so once you craft your training around that, in, especially in season, then I think coaches have a better, better chance at developing, you know, athletes that are going to excel better at game-like situations rather than, you know, look pretty throwing a football into a trash can. Well, there's, you know, I, I want to get to one thing, uh, one question real quick, but before that, we, when we were talking to Kirk, he was like, I mean, what, they're out there in their shorts and they're throwing balls that are 70 yards in the air on the run and it looks great, but they're, you're not going to do that yep. on Sundays. And it's fascinating to hear that from someone who's lived it for at the highest level for that long. Right. 
Um, what would you change uh, about conventional quarterback coaching? Well, um, there's the NFL is an interesting one um, because there's these guys are experts at um, the chess side of it in terms of you know I, the the strategy of setting up players versus players and and schemes versus schemes and understanding this coach likes doing this and this coach likes doing that. Um, and then there's a, a pretty large drop off, which people like myself have created careers on in terms of the technical side of things, right? It's like, I'm a better technical quarterback coach than every single quarterback coach in the NFL in terms of understanding biomechanics of a throwing mechanics, you know, how to develop a thrower, um, you know, and, and I don't think any of these guys would have a problem saying that anymore. They know that like that a quarterback coach in the NFL is not a, a technical throwing coach. Um, but the problem is, is there's a bunch of like, you know, time filled, um, you know, this individual time there's, um, it's like, we're going to work on these drills and, and, and to steal a term from baseball, a lot of it's just eyewash. It's just, it's fake fundamentals. Um, uh, in terms of we're, we're, we're getting activity out of our athletes, but we're not actually helping them progress as a player, um, that's on the field. So for example, like routes on air, right? So routes on air for people that don't know is, it's a segment it's, it's on every single, you know, um, practice script in, 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 from high school to the NFL. And it is basically a quarterback dropping back and throwing to a single receiver that is running against nobody. And so the theory behind it is that if we get really good at the timing of it, Meaning like, hey, when I hit my fifth step, he's hit his seventh step, he's out of the break, I place the ball at 22 yards, you know, two yards outside the hash um, with a, an arc level, of, you know, of like a 1.5 ball. And it, it looks beautiful. It's amazing. It's so good. It's like, and so we do this and we do this all year round. And at the younger levels, it has a little bit more validity in terms of like figuring out timing and 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 learning your athletes. But as soon as you step on the field, there's you know, um, shoot 20 other players that are trying to disrupt or prevent disruption from happening. Right. And so innately, I think we build timing and some guys because of their cognitive side are better at figuring those things out, but there's someone, one or two other players that are trying to disrupt that timing. And so spending a considerable amount of time on, on throwing routes on air, you know, at week five in the season, you're just getting your guys tired. You're, 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 you know, so as many times as you can have your players interact with another position group, a, a, um, another person where there's some level of complexity where they have to navigate through pressure or some distraction. Um, and then that's where I think the real progress is made in coaching, right? Less individual time, more group time more complexity, more interaction, more chaos, the better. And, and the reason why we don't go there is because coaches innately, I'm not even coaches, just people, it's like, it gets messy, but learning is messy, right? It's, it feels <laughs> the game good is messy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, we just completed every single pass and, and routes in there. High five. Um, and again, like there's value, there's value to that, but the, that's not the game, right? And so there has to be a transfer of training at some point and so there's a point of diminishing returns with everything, I think, at some point. And, and you know, we're, we're, it's a traditional game. We tend to do things the way we do things. Um, and, but I always like to, like, say, well, what if we did it this way? What if we look at it this way? You know, I think those are important questions. Sounds like I need to come out to a St. Augustine high school practice, see what that looks hey. like. Fire, fire drill, fire drill. 
We get after it. That's, yep. Dude, that's right. That's right. That's what I'm saying. What's So, I mean, we just heard from an expert, essentially what you're talking about is what's your contingency plan, right? An NFL offensive coordinator, now head coach said, yeah, what's your contingency plan? Because everything's not there. You can work on timing, space, yeah. rhythm, all these things on air. And then all of a sudden you have 20, uh, 11 people that are Absolutely. trying to disrupt yep. it. It is. It is the, there's the play that's called and the play that happens. You know, and I think understanding that, um, Ooh, I'm going to steal that you know, we can tagline of the podcast yeah, episode. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I think, I think understanding that, and again, it's there, there is, um, a level of understanding that we have to have as athletes and coaches of, of, of how the play looks, if it is run perfectly. Um, and then, you know, the great ones, you know, the, the, the breezes and the Brady's and the Rodgers, they recognize those patterns on the defense and they know that, well, this guy in this position is going to disrupt this play in this manner. So I'm going to, you know, this is the game within the game that they're playing, which I think is the, the ultimate level we want to get to, but we want to get there. We have to allow athletes to, to, to do that. My thing always at practice, you know, with, with my high school team, I'm always like pleading my coach, Hey, I want more 11 on 11 drills. I want more team stuff. I love that stuff. And again, it's messy. Um, but um, you know, and it, to me, it's like, in the weight room, it's so good with athletes, right? Like when you max out and you fail, you get stronger. And so there's this element of like in the weight room where it's accepted that you push a weight and you don't make it, and it, but you tried, and that helps you the next time you try it. For the rest of you know athletics, it's like you do something, you fail, and it's coaches like, that's gross. Like I'm not doing that again, right? But sometimes <laughs> it's like if we took that same approach, like no, like we're just one step better to, you know, one step closer to a, a better rep. And so we have to go there. We have, you know, and, and I think there's a little bit of a leap of faith and trust um, that we have to take, but um, you know, I think that's, you know, we got to differentiate ourselves somehow. And I think coaches that are willing to do that um, and you see the results. So looking at this non-conventional quarterback way of training, Specifically, how have you trained uh, tracking capacity, decision complexity? You've touched on that a bunch. Impulse control, distraction control. How have you, uh, how have you put that into drills for your quarterbacks to do for the transfer effect, like you alluded to earlier? Yeah, absolutely. So um, <clears throat> it depends on what level I'm getting at, in terms of a, a quarterback at, and and what we're training for. So on one end of it, my 100 percent focus is going to be on the technical side of things with literally no decision making right and and if you want to change things from a technical standpoint complexity can be an enemy for that right it's like if you want to focus on a motor pathway change you know eliminating variables helps athletes you know for like a better throwing stroke right and so when we're working on that my drills the complexity level is zero it's boring it's the most boring work in the world the point where we will take the football out of the hand because the football will give us feedback that we don't necessarily want sometimes. But, you know, but once we've accomplished that and we've worked with an athlete long enough and we can understand how they work cognitively, then we want to develop situations and scenarios as trainers to then help them improve aspects of their game. And if you're working with multiple quarterbacks, you know, the amount of time you can spend technically is, is, is reduced. And so tactically is, is, Typically, when you have more than one quarterback, you can do some great things with with athletes working together. Um, and so we, we have a, a drill that, that we use frequently um, where we 
we have the core, we call it choice drill. Um, and, and it's basically a layered decision-making process with all elements. Um, and, and so one of the elements is, you know, the quarterback and the receiver are not facing each other. Um, so their backs are to each other. Um, and again, the purpose of this drill is to create a, a decision that is, is, um, will transfer into the game. Right. And the receiver has a choice to go right or left on, uh, on a command and the quarterback, here's the command. He has to get out of his, his drop and then react to the receiver going a particular direction and get the ball to the receiver before they reach a certain point, right? So you'll see good quarterbacks will react quickly. They'll be technically sound enough and be able to deliver the football before, you know, the receiver's out of the out of bounds, essentially, right? And it's a reduced, it's a, it's a small-sided game. So it's a smaller field of play that we do it on. Um, and then we add other, you know, other layers into it, whether it's a, a, an additional defender or an additional distraction, someone rushing, um, where there is a, a rapid decision that has to be made. And, and you put that athlete in a situation over and over again where they have to make that decision, that yes-no decision, and, and you give them permission. Like you want them to explore and figure it out, and they might throw it in the incorrect spot. Um, they might, you know, throw an interception, they might force it. Right. So whenever you can like reduce the number of players you're working with, create an environment where they, they are forced to, to make a throw or not make a throw. You can, can, you can work on things like impulse control and search efficiency. It can, it can, it restricts it and it simplifies it in a manner where the quarterback has to make a decision and you have to give them permission to make just to roll with what a decision they make. And, and once you do that, I think the player starts to learn a little bit more about themselves. They start to, you know, dig deeper into that particular, um, you know, that throw. So if, if you go with too many decisions too early, um, you know, you get no decision, right? And and so simplifying the amount of decisions you have to work through, um, restricting their vision in some capacity, pre-snap, um, post-snap, you know, distraction-wise. And you can't do that with pre pre-planned drills where you're shuffling through bags, you're jumping on ladders, you know, that, that, that doesn't, they know where they have to go. That's a dance recital. That's different. Um, that doesn't transfer into football and people will die on that hill because big colleges and big pro teams do that type of thing. Um, I don't think it has the, the value it has is, is, is very small in comparison to everything else. Yeah. So I, I, well, I can remember probably five or six years ago now we were at the quarterback collective and, and and these guys are throwing balls to receivers that were either breaking right or left, and and these guys were 100 percent accurate, beautiful. Yep. And uh, I don't remember if it was Scott or myself was like, okay, let's put a linebacker there, and the linebacker isn't going to cover anybody. The linebacker is just going to break left or right, whatever he wants to do. All of a sudden, the accuracy started going down yep. a little bit. Uh, guys are about 80 percent, and then. We're like, okay, how about we have a lineman run at the quarterback, but the quarterback knows he's not going to get hit at all. And all of a sudden you're talking about game time completion percentages, like 60, 60, 65% on these elite high school quarterbacks with just one receiver and two distractors. And so just adding layers on like that can really, you know, simple, but can really sort of mimic what you're doing in, in, in game speed. That's a hundred percent. And I, I get to see it in practice every day. Um, you know, Al from, from again, and we do routes on there cause we're young and we're still learning how to do things correctly at both the quarterback and the receiver position. And it's early in the season. Um, but 
as we progress and already we're at a, a moment of progression now where like without quarterbacks, I will add an element of pressure on routes on air. So they're not just dropping back with this clean pocket and it's just one, one person, you know, and they may, it may come, it may not, they may, may stand there, may get in the way. And then, and so then we put an element on the quarterback, you know, to then um, have to navigate through one more layer, right? Another good way I think coaches can, um, you know, if you, if you, a lot of times the offensive line and defensive line have segments where they work together um, and, and, and they'll be doing like pass protection and, and working on combo blocks. If you can steal and throw one of your quarterbacks in that, in that drill, and they only have to have one target to throw at. It could be just one stationary target. Right. Um, but that stationary target, the, maybe on the left, maybe in the middle, maybe in the right, um, you know, it may jog, it may run, it may do something different, but they have to they have the pocket they have to navigate as well. Like that's a really good way to start working on um, on 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 pocket presence, um, which essentially equates to, you know, distraction control and and, um, you know, kind of layers into, you know, how impulse control works as well. So I think, you know, those especially with, you know, a shorter quarterback. Right. Um, it's like. And it it may feel for some guys like it's they can't see as much, but we know that the cognitive data says. I mean, it was you know I think you said three and a half percent matters height equates for right. Um, you know it, we're seeing it right now with more shorter NFL quarterbacks than ever before having success. Um, and, and so you know because they've 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 done it enough, they've been out there, and they have the cognitive skills to navigate through that. But anytime you can put your cues in those situations where there's maybe maximal distractions with a very singular easy decision to make post snap i think is really helpful and then flip it around you know uh, less distractions and lots of decisions post snap which is essentially what seven on seven is um you know, right that, that's where that is i mean from a i mean th- from a coaching perspective and i hope there are coaches and sports scientists listening to this but i mean this is absolute gold with respect to understanding how science can inform the way we train. And really to highlight what you said, and you you said it very, very well, is that you have to have intention about what you're doing, you know, why you're doing something in practice. Is there is there a purpose behind doing drills with no decisions? Absolutely. Especially at the young level when you need to learn. So motor learning needs to be uninterrupted. Right. We can't throw interruptions and decisions when you're trying to get somebody to learn a motor task. We know this from golf. We know this from soccer and other literature bases. But once you've got that, once you've learned the offense, once you've learned the mechanics and those kinds of things, you have to have intention behind. Okay, now what am I asking my quarterback to do? Right now, I'm trying to make him make force him to make decisions like he's going to make in the game. If you never mimic the types of decisions, the types of cognitive processing you have to do in the game, it's not just going to magically happen in the game. Exactly. Yep. No, that's perfectly said. Yeah, Brent. So, Brent, literally to that point, Will, have you seen these guys that you've put through these drills that you're creating? It's, it's, it's a very creative approach to these drills. Have you seen them improve on the field with uh, decision-making in those areas that you're trying to target? Yeah, so one of the things I've definitely seen is that once understanding scores um and athletes when you put them in those drills some some that are on like a very high level the drill is easy for them so just from an evaluative standpoint you can tell like oh this kid's good i knew he was good but i know now i know he's really good because the drill 
ends up being quite easy for them or easier than the others right off the bat, right? And it's like that, you know, so from an evaluative standpoint, um, you know, you can work through some things pretty quickly just by putting them in these situations. Um, and it, it marries up nicely with the scores. And so, but from a, from a, a seeing progress, um, you know, for me, the, the difficult thing is that I train athletes all off season and then, um, you know, then they go off to their teams. Right. And so the, the, some of them will, will sit on the, um, the sideline the entire year, if they're on a professional roster or, you know, collegiate roster and some will play and some won't. And so they will get better. I will see that get better. The, I can speak to personally with, again, my lab rat um, being able to see my, it just, it just works out well, understanding how his cognition works. Um, and, and again, the approach to training that, that we've had um, that he's been exposed to, um, you know, there's certain things that he does that, that be, have become very easy and second nature that we just don't even, well, like literally don't worry about it. Like we do not work on, we're not working on like throwing mechanics. There'll be little cues on certain things, but like in the season, we're focused on everything is about um, having intent in terms of, um, you know, restricting movement. Like you're going to stay in the pocket. You are going to, you know, uh, we're not going to bail no matter what. Um, you would take the sack, you know, just to force these issues um, in, in seven on seven, being able to, to work through more complex decisions, um, more layers. Um, and then just watching that natural evolution happen, um, you know, through the off season and practice, et cetera. Um, it, it's been really, really fun to observe. Um, and then, you know, we'll, well, I'll get to see it from watching the film this next off season. You know, what guys have had some success doing some of these things and, and, um, you know, what guys have still things to work on, et cetera. But yeah, it's, it's been a really, really, um, uh, encouraging thing to see like, okay, this style of training works and and if we do more of it i think it you know guys will be better uh will before we get to the last segment of this podcast is there anything you'd like to promote uh anything you'd like to touch on that we didn't get to um you know uh i think i mean i'm just i just encourage i appreciate you guys having me on and and and, um you know I, i love i love learning um but i also love helping others learn as well so i'm continually figuring this this whole thing out um you know from promotion standpoint um you know, Quarterback Collective, I think, is an awesome organization um, that, that I've been blessed to be a part of for the past five years. Richmond Flowers is the founder of that, um, which is also a uh, the collective sports advisor, the agent side of it as well. He works with a lot of NFL coaches, um, you know, currently a ton of head coaches and, and, and coordinators and position coaches. Um, here in, I'm based out here in Jacksonville. We work at, Tor- at Torque Sports Performance as a performance par- partner, uh, Dr. Tom Gormelli, who's a, a brilliant mind. Um, working with a lot of top NFL quarterbacks um, on the movement, um, uh, you know, the 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 physical side of things, the 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 arm care, the arm health, the full spectrum of of development for quarterbacks, and then um, uh, six points, you know, the here the facility that we use, indoor facility. Um, uh, the Denny Thompson is a founder there, and he's he's one of the you know, premier trainers nationwide, and. You know, he's lucky, I'm lucky enough to him that, you know, kind of come on and let me use his facility. We work together with all the athletes and that's been really, really good. Um, and then, yeah, so that, that crew right there, I think we've had an awesome, awesome, you know, uh, opportunity to work together and really, you know, like minds work, to, you know, build, build some pretty cool um, coaching um, uh, approaches and, and, and have a lot of success with some athletes we're currently working with. 
That's awesome. So if, if, a, if a quarterback wants to get in touch with you, check out one of those organizations. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, probably uh, it's best, you know, directly from, from a, from a training standpoint, um, you know, look up six points jacks um, online or um, through social media. Um, we, we have a lot of people that want to work with us and we've got a limited schedule, so it's hard to get in, but uh, we rarely take on too many new clients, but we, we, we will, we, we still do. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so we'll, once we roll into this next probably January period, with draft prep, um, you know, we'll have, we'll have room for, for training for other athletes at different levels as well. Man, that's awesome. That is awesome. So we end the podcast and guest with three random and funny questions that have absolutely nothing to do awesome. with what we just talked about. Are you ready? Love it. Let's do it. Okay. This is going to be controversial. Do you consider cereal to be a soup? Ooh, I've actually never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess it's like a cold soup, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> I'm going to go with yes. I'm going to call it soup from now on. Nice. I like that. We just changed yeah. his life. Well, at least we changed yeah. his kid's life. Yep. You eating soup for yeah, breakfast, son? Is- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the second is if you could be uh, a fly on the wall for any conversation, who would you listen in on? Aaron Rodgers. No hesitation. Aaron and anybody <laughs> else? <laughs> Oh, anybody else? Uh, yeah, I mean, probably him talking to himself. Just yeah. Aaron. <laughs> I, guess, I literally have a list of questions I'm going to ask that guy when I meet him once. So we're, we'll get there. Yes, yes. All of these coaches, everyone around him. I've never met Aaron. I'm going to meet him. And, uh, yeah, I got, I got some questions for that guy. Just a note on your phone of all the things you got to run through. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. And uh, the last one was if Netflix was to produce a movie about your life, who's playing the actor? Oh, Brad Pitt. Are you kidding me? Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt, boom! Yeah, yeah, he's the man. Uh, he's, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge Brad Pitt fan. My wife is too. He's getting a little older, but yeah, I think I'm gonna go with Brad Pitt. Is I don't even, is he cool anymore? I'm not even sure. I don't, he just had that uh, Bullet Train movie. Can't promote it. Don't yeah. know. It. Haven't seen it. But I mean, there's probably some younger actor. Um, oh, who's my guy? That uh, oh, he's in a bunch of really good stuff. Um, Peaky You're Blinders. like six four, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pushing six five. So I don't know. Maybe Tom Brady. How about uh, <laughs> my my guy Thor? Yes. The guy, Ooh, uh, yeah, guy. Hemsworth. Yes. There you go. There you go. Could be his yeah. brother oh, with the yeah. hair, and the the, you know, maybe not Chris, but could be could be Liam. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Will, man, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. I appreciate y'all. Thank you so much for having me on. So awesome talking to you. Absolutely. Yeah, so awesome talking to you, Will.